All right. What's up, Manhattan? Woo! Yeah. Come on. My name, for those of you who don't know, is Daniel Kennard, and my wife and I, we get the privilege to be able to help and lead the campus ministry here in Manhattan. Um, so the campus is in the house. We are pumped up. We're excited, and we are ready for winter break, aren't we? Yes. Yes, we are. It's finals time. So if you want to say a little prayer for them, always welcome. But they're going to do awesome. Now, I'm really grateful to be here uh, preaching with you all. This is my third time preaching in Manhattan. So uh, I better do a good job on this one um, or else three strikes and I'm out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, see, that's the reaction I was hoping for. That's awesome. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I am really excited to be up here and uh, preaching again and uh, to be able to continue our theme here of the power of one. Um, and I'm really excited to continue on in that. I think it's a great topic in tonight or today, this morning, we're going to be talking about conversion, right? So last week we talked about the power of one conversation. And we talked about uh, Levi, Jesus' conversation with Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, right? And what a, um, just how Jesus really leapt over some social barriers there to be able to reach out to Matthew. And we learned that uh, about Jesus' Jesus's character is he's not worried about the social barriers. He's just worried about us and having a relationship with him. So it was great to see that and how one conversation really can have a world of difference. And it can really have a ripple effect from there. So that was great last week. That was very exciting. And now we get to look at the power of one conversion. And I want to talk about the power of our conversion by taking a look into the apostles, uh, the apostle Peter's conversion and his discipleship going forward. So we've talked about the power of one conversation right last week and how one conversation can bear uh, great fruit and a great change. And I'd like to look at one more conversation with us all. And that's Jesus's conversation with Peter. So if you want to, let's go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter four. And I've got three points for us all this morning. Point one is one conversation, and I want to build off of what we talked about last week. And then we're going to transfer into one decision, and lastly, one purpose. So point number one here, one conversation. In Matthew chapter 4, and verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So here we've got the calling of the first disciples. Simon, who we know as Peter, and his brother Andrew. And you know, Jesus is just kind of walking next to the Sea of Galilee here. And he sees these two guys out there fishing. Uh, Peter and Andrew, they're out there uh, fishing with their nets, right? When we think of fishing, we're usually like casting it out there. But they've got, they've got these nets and they're trying to bring in a whole lot of fish. And then here just comes Jesus, right? Walking down the side. These guys see him and, and Jesus just yells out, hey, come follow me. All right, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And Peter and Andrew decide to drop their nets and to go follow him. Now, we've heard this many times, right? And it's very cool, yeah, drop your nets and get in there, get in there with Jesus. But a lot of people wonder why, why would these two guys 
who are sitting there fishing. Some random dude comes up to him and says, hey, come follow me. And they're like, okay, we'll just leave everything and go do that. Like, why? Why did that happen? Why would they do that? It's not like Jesus was like, hey, come follow me and I will give you riches beyond compare. Right. Or, hey, come follow me and, and I will give you uh, major status or anything like that. He wasn't offering that. He just said, come follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. See, to a lot of the world, uh, that's kind of baffling. Why would they choose to do this? But for those of us who have made that decision to do just that, it makes perfect sense to us. Because we understand what a special thing it is to come in contact with Jesus. You know, if, uh, for, I guess, okay, so if you're visiting with us today, if you're a guest with us today, and you aren't sure if you've made this decision yet, or um, maybe you know you haven't, ask the person who invited you, uh, why is, ask them why did you choose to make this decision? Why did you choose to leave everything and follow her? Uh, you know, let them show you what they've seen in the Bible that would cause them to make such a uh, dramatic decision, right? And if at any point in this sermon you feel like I'm, I'm talking about something that you haven't quite experienced yet, or, or maybe that's why you've came, uh, or why you've come today to learn more about this, that's great. Let this message inspire, inspire you of what's ahead, right? And after service, grab someone and, and, Ask them, hey, can you help me experience these things that we're talking about today? Uh, but if you want to uh, take a look at this picture here, this is called the Jesus boat. Okay? The Jesus boat. If you go to Galilee today, you will see a boat that might have belonged to Peter and Andrew, or perhaps the Zebedee family, which is James and John. Uh, but in 1986, two fishermen were walking by the Sea of Galilee. Um, they were then atheists. Um, and now on this particular day, it was actually, the water was the lowest uh, on record in the Sea of Galilee because they had been through a four-year drought. Okay, So they're walking down in the middle of this drought. The water is incredibly low. And they look up and they see this unbelievable double rainbow in the sky. And then they look down below it. And just coming up out of the water, they see the tip of what looks like like an old boat. It just vaguely, vaguely looked like that. And so they actually contacted archaeologists to come and check out, see what this thing is. And sure enough, stuck in the mud was stuck in the mud was this boat. And so what they did was they lifted it out of the water with great care. Uh oh. Um, with great care, and what they, they actually had to be very crafty with it uh, because it was such an old artifact. They actually, if you look down here, they had to encase it in like this plaster underwater before they could even expose it to air. Um, but so they, they did that, they took it out, they cleaned it up, and they began the preservation process. And they found out through ca carbon dating through this that this boat is actually from the time of Jesus. So through carbon dating, they were actually to specifically to say this boat was around when Jesus was alive. And this boat could have very possibly been seen or used by Jesus because of that. Because this was such a hub for his ministry and the people that he was calling. Which is pretty cool. Now the chances of this boat's survival in fresh water like this were next to none. Uh, and to remove the boat safely, forget about it. You know, 10 years ago, the technology would not have been updated enough to be able to do what they did to get this thing out of the water safely. 
So the water was just low enough because of this drought. The technology was just high enough to be able to take this out of the water specifically. And there just happened to be two fishermen brothers who are now Christians out at the water at that exact moment. The chief archaeologist said, I come from the scientific world where we don't use the word miracle. But it is most probably a miracle. And now it's on display for millions to see. And that what's cool about it is this is exactly the sort of boat that the disciples would have been using. This is what you fished off of. Now, this boat, it serves as a tangible reminder of what it cost Peter and Andrew to follow Jesus. When you look at this, they were small businessmen. Okay, making enough money to get by and maybe have a little extra, right? They were fishermen, so it's a secure job. They, uh, everybody needs food. They lived near a cosmopolitan area, so there was a bunch of people coming in to eat. So there were a lot of people buying their fish. So their lives were most likely moderately secure. Not luxurious, right? But secure. So why did they give up that security and that comfort to join a cause that would later take their life? The answer can only be found in Jesus. And what a special thing it truly is to come in contact with him. You know, this one conversation that we read here, it changed every aspect of Peter's life. And there was something clearly special about this one conversation Peter had with Jesus, as short as it was. My question to all of us this morning is, do you remember your conversation with Jesus? Can you remember that moment you had the conversation with Jesus that changed your life? I want you to take, take a second and think about that. If any, uh, well, does that make sense what I'm trying to say? This, this, that changing moment, right, that you had this conversation with Jesus. Maybe it was in a Bible study. Uh, maybe it was watching um, something and it just hit you. Uh, you know, certain movies can strike you different ways emotionally. Uh, but there are these different times where we come in contact with Jesus. And I'll tell you one thing. This is an incredibly special moment for Peter when he had this conversation with Jesus. And he never forgot it, as we can see later on. Because you see, similarly to how our society... We, uh, you know, we prep our children very intensively for their school, their career, you know, long term. We try to get them all prepped up for that. A lot of time and consideration goes into, into that path later on. Now, in the Jewish community, the young boys, they went on a similar quest, but it all started out with uh, embarking on this quest to become a rabbi. Okay? And so at age five, young Jewish boys went to school to learn Hebrew and memorize the Torah. Now, if they found them that this child was very prominent in this and doing well, they would move on to the next stage. And by age 13, they would have their bar mitzvah, and a Jewish young man at this point would show that he had memorized the Torah, the prophets, and the writings of the Old Testament, which is the entirety of Hebrew scripture at this point. If they were able to do that, they would move on to the next stage. If they made it that far, they were supposed to continue in their studies with sages, Okay. Now, if they showed great promise in this stage with the sages, they had to go and spend time near a rabbi. So they would go to the rabbis, they would stand near, their, stand near them and try to hear what they're teaching. Because they had to choose which rabbi that they would try and be their disciple of. So they would spend time around all these rabbis, and they would hear them, and then they would pick a rabbi, a rabbi and then they would ask, Rabbi, may I be your disciple? Now, 
If the rabbi thought you showed great promise all the way up until this point, he might let you be on a probationary period of being his disciple to see if you're worthy. Now, rabbis were very selective with this process because they would only choose people that they felt could fully meet their standards and in the end become just like them. Okay, so if they were able to prove themselves to the rabbis all the way up until this point, the rabbi would finally utter those long sought after words, follow me. And then there was Peter, a fisherman, an unschooled ordinary man, who obviously wasn't deemed worthy of being a student of God's word, much less a disciple of a rabbi. And then Jesus comes up to him, and he sees past all his inadequacies, and he deems him capable of the potential to imitate him, and he skips every other social step immediately deeming him worthy of being his disciple. Follow me. When you look at the context of that moment, how special do you think Peter felt? You could see why he jumped out of the water. Because his whole society has said, you're not worthy of this. And Jesus says, yes, you are. You can do this. Come, follow me. Could you imagine how special he felt? That's a moment he'd never forget. Now, what about you? Do you remember your conversation with Jesus? That moment where you realized he didn't see you for who you are, but for what you could become. That moment where he determines that you have the potential to follow him. And thus, you made a decision that would shape every other decision you make for the rest of your life. I'm in. I will follow him. And what a special thing it is to come in contact with Jesus. You know, I'll never forget my conversation with Jesus I had, uh, because before that conversation, I was a complete mess. Um, I am a kingdom kid. I had severe anger problems. I had, I was incredibly rebellious. A lot happened in the church that I didn't like. It made me run away, and I became like the poster child for persecuting the church, persecuting disciples. I was just mad. I went into some rough times, I'm through this process in high school, separating myself from everyone that loves me, from everyone in the church. I got into a whole mess of of everything, you name it. I was deeply into the drug scene and the drinking scene, the partying scene, all this different stuff. I was harming uh, myself physically. I was, I felt like I can recognize what Legion must have felt like, I feel like. Just so many demons inside of me. And it only got worse. I thought I hit rock bottom. I hit a second rock bottom. And everything just got worse. I, I didn't think I could go lower. And I did. And, you know, I, w- I went through this during uh, high school. And I happened to uh, graduate, which was a miracle in and of itself. They had to put me in a special program outside of the re- regular schools called Gemini. It's basically 10 of us. All the people that if they don't do something, we will drop out and make a mess of our lives. It's a really special program with incredibly amazing teachers that saved us. Uh, But, you know, I graduated here, and as I'm graduating, Shane gives me a call to come visit San Diego. And so I go, and I went through a period of God kind of softening my heart, going through rock bottom, all this stuff, and he extends the invitation to study the Bible. And I was like, okay, uh, 
I'll, I'll try it out. In my mind, I thought, hey, I've got two options here. I either A, study the Bible, don't agree with it, and realize I waste a few hours of my life, or B, I study the Bible, I agree with it, and I get to go to heaven. When I weighed them like that, it was worth a shot. But I remember studying the Bible, and we, did, we watched The Passion of the Christ and read the scriptures along with it. And when I saw them stick the nails in Jesus' hands after reading it, it broke me. I was like this, you know, tough guy. Uh, I was very hard exterior, very hard heart. I was, I was angry. I was, had seven piercings in my head. I was the guy that you didn't want to mess with. And here I am. I am literally weeping. I am sobbing. Because I could not believe what was happening as I was watching this. I mean, I had a conversation with Jesus in this moment. I could not believe that someone who knew everything I was doing, even though I betrayed and made fun of him and his people, that he would not only offer to forgive me, but to take my punishment too? I could not believe that. It broke me. And at that moment, I was sold. I was, I was all in. Anybody who would do that for me, I can trust wholeheartedly. I'm in. I will follow you. I had a conversation with Jesus that day, and I made that same decision as Peter did. I'm in. You know, many of you here today have a similar experience. We had that conversation with Jesus. That moment where we finally understood what it all meant. And because of that one conversation, we made one decision. I'm in. I am in this. Now, Manhattan, never forget that conversation you had with Jesus when he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. While you were still out there on a boat in the middle of a lake of your sin, Jesus came up to you. He looked at you lovingly, seeing past all your inadequacies, your hurts, your regrets, anything else that you feel terrible about, your weaknesses. He saw past it all and he deemed you capable of the potential to be just like him. And he extended the invitation to you. Follow me. You can do this. What was your response? Let us never forget that one special conversation and the one decision it cost us to make. What a special thing it is to come in contact with Jesus. Amen? Point number two, one decision. I'm going to speed up here. That was a longer one. Now, many of you in here made that decision. Deciding Jesus is Lord and that you're all in. But we know it doesn't stop there, does it? It does not stop there. It's only the beginning. You know, the truth of the matter is we may have made that one decision, but that one decision does not happen once. It actually happens over and over and over again for the rest of our lives because none of us are perfect. And that's the reality. It would be nice to think that we can just decide to follow Jesus and then be good. But life is a little tougher than that. And we're a little bit weaker than that. But that's okay. As long as when we fall, we decide to get back up and jump right back in the fight. You know, Peter understood this concept probably better than anyone. I mean, just in the book of Matthew alone, poor Peter's got a long list of mistakes. If you look at this slide, he's got a long list of uh, altercations with Jesus where Jesus is just like, seriously, do you really... You really have that little fit. You know, I can't imagine being Peter, messing up that many times and being corrected that many times by the very person I'm trying to impress and follow and still sticking around and waiting for more. 
you got to appreciate that, uh, that about Peter. I mean, he may have messed up a bunch of times, and he may have been doing it to his face, but he stuck in there. He understood the commitment he made. You have to appreciate that. Now, Peter, Peter he understood his role. It wasn't to be perfect. It was to renew that one decision over and over again daily. I'm in. I messed up. I'm still in. Turn over with me to John 21. In John 21, you know, in a sense, Peter was continually converted through all these different conversations. And, uh, you know, but after Peter denied Jesus the, those three times, something changed. It was like his ultimate mistake, and, and things changed for a little bit. You know, after Jesus died, the disciples went into hiding for fear of the Jewish leaders. So it wasn't like, oh, he's dead, right? And what do we do? We need to go tell other people. It was, no, we, we need to hide. We're afraid. And then Jesus comes back and he says, hey, I'm alive. And they freak out. They're excited. And then guess what? They go right back to hiding. And then he comes again and checks in. He's like, no, 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 this is real, Thomas. This is real. I'm alive. Everyone check it out. Feel it. I'm here. And then they're like, yes. And then they're like, well, let's go back to fishing. You know, it's funny that Peter, he literally just goes right back to doing what he was doing before. You know, so often this is us. We mess up, and maybe we mess up big. But we let it affect ourselves so deeply that we backslide. And we slow down. And some even give up and go right back to living as they were before they even came in contact with Jesus, as if it never happened. You know, this is a tough time for Peter here. I can't imagine the guilt and the remorse that he's feeling. But let's read what happens in John 21. Starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You know, Jesus doesn't skip a beat. I love it. He comes right back to Peter and asks him the same question three times, right? He had to speak in a language Peter could understand. What memories do you think were brought back to Peter when Jesus asked those, that question three times? The memories of that night and what he did. The guilt, the remorse, just flooding back into his mind. But then Jesus says, follow me. And what memories do you think were brought back to Peter when Jesus said this? That sunny day on the boat, he's coming and the rabbi chose me, right? See, Jesus, he once again, he comes up to Peter and he sees past all the iniquities and again deems him capable of the potential to imitate him. And again, skips every social step that they're used to and immediately deemed him worthy of being his disciple. Follow me. And Peter, overwhelmed, renews that same decision he made from the start. He's in. He's going to get back up and keep going because Jesus is Lord. 
You've got to love this scene. You know, I was a wrestler in high school, and um, I... Uh, Okay, it was tough, all right? I was varsity all, all four years, you know, but I, uh, being one of the better wrestlers, would have to go up in weight class because we didn't have anybody in that slot. Now, the way wrestling works is on tournaments, it's, it's an individual sport, so on the weekends, you're on your own, and then in the middle of the week, it's matches, and it's a team sport, okay? So if you don't have somebody in that weight class, you forfeit the six points to the other team. So for me, I would have to gorge myself with food to make the minimum weight to be able to wrestle this heavier weight class that's filled with Goliaths. And then by the weekend, I would have to lose it all and shed back below my natural weight to be able to wrestle the individual tournament. So, I mean, I remember I lost, I lost eight pounds in one practice. I lost eight pounds in three hours uh, trying to make weight for the tournament. Wrestling's a tough sport. <laughs> it's, it's rough, uh, but it's awesome. Now, I went to Clarkstown uh, South High School, and there's a Clarkstown North High School. Now, you can imagine how we feel about them. We don't like them very much. North. It's, uh, it's not a great school. Um, but they do have this wrestler, and his name was Ramos. Doesn't that sound intimidating? I mean, this was the Goliath of, like, David and Goliath. I mean, he's just, this dude, he's the one that's breaking all the school records. He's the one that's getting awards for, like, 300th win. I mean, he, the dude is just unbeatable. And wouldn't you know that we wrestle our rivals, and we don't have anybody in his weight class, so who does coach send up? I'm gorging on food. I used to wet my socks and then put other socks over them to add weight just so I could make the minimum weight to be able to wrestle that weight class, okay? And so here I am, we're matched up, we're in the ring, we're facing each other, and boom, the whistle blows, and the dude starts toying with me. He flops me on my back, and he turns me. Now, the way you lose is pin uh, both shoulder blades on the mat. So he turns me over, and I have no control, and he's just turning me over, putting this one close to the mat, but he's not pinning me. And then he flips me over and he puts this one close to the mat and he's not pinning me. I'm literally, I am a rag doll in this guy's arms. It was absolutely humiliating. But nobody was making fun of me because they were just glad they weren't wrestling him. Okay? Now, I'm getting flipped all over the place and then the first period ends and the referee flips the coin, points at me. He goes, how do you want to start? And I'm thinking, okay. I This is a lose, lose, lose. <laughs> but the one position I can start in is neutral. And that's when you go right back to the start of regular face-off position. And so I said, my only chance is to start in neutral and try to take my shot first. So we get up in neutral, right? He blows the whistle. I dive down the most beautiful dive you've ever seen. <laughs> I go and I buckle his knees in, I bring him in, I take my step, I throw him into the air, I slam him down on the ground and I pin him. But I'm still bitter about this. The ref wasn't expecting that. What a ref has to do is he has to dive down to the ground because he has to look to see the shoulder blades touch the ground. I threw him up 
I slammed him down on his back. I held him there for my half second. The ref doesn't see that coming. He dives, and then he has to crawl around to see the shoulder blades. And by that time, Ramos had just managed to lift his one like a half an inch off the mat. Ran out time, next period. Ramos chooses neutral. <laughs> Pinned. But I'll tell you one thing. Everybody was talking about my double leg takedown on this guy. I did the impossible here. Okay? And it was awesome. I mean, I'm not kidding. Ramos walked off the mat as if he lost because he couldn't believe that he had let that be done to him by me. Not a prominent wrestler. I mean, he was like head down. Nobody said anything to him after. It was like embarrassing. And the crowd's cheering for me. And they're all like, yeah! They're just pumped up that I did it. All my friends are like patting me on the back. But you know what? It was amazing because I, you know, even though I lost... I decided to get back up and give it my all. And it was glorious. You know, that's the spiritual battle right there. Monthly, daily, hourly, every minute, we need to decide to get back in the fight and follow Jesus and give it our all. Whether you're just messing up a little, whether you're completely stuck in sin, or maybe even if you've just flat out quit on God, Jesus is still coming up to you and re-extending the invitation, saying, you have the potential to be just like me. Follow me. And there's only one right answer to that question. I am in, baby. Manhattan, let us continue to renew this decision to follow Jesus daily, no matter what's been going on in our lives. Amen? All right, I got one last point, and I'm going to do it very quickly. Point number three, one purpose. Why renew this decision daily? Why choose to stay in the fight as vigorously as when you first started? It's because we had that one conversation. We didn't just make one decision. We were given one new grand purpose. And that's to share this message with the rest of the world and to give others their powerful conversion. You know, everything we've talked about had happened and Jesus was about to ascend up to heaven and Jesus gave his one final charge to Peter and the others. In Matthew 28, did I skip it? That's all good. I'll read it. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The truth of the matter is that this was new, no new message at all, okay? So going back all the way to the conversation from the beginning, what did Jesus call them to? In Matthew 4, 19, he says, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Right? The call isn't just to follow him. It's to go and fish for people. Now, Jesus' great commission to Peter and the others, it's not a new message. It was a reminder of the one purpose that he called him to from the very beginning when they were first called. And so what can we learn from that? What can we learn from Jesus calling them to fish for people from the start and the finish of his ministry is that we're not really following if we're not really fishing. And that's just the bottom line. Because this is why we were called. You weren't called to just be a disciple. You were called to do that and make more. 
and get more to heaven. The two go hand in hand. This is the purpose. This is the call. And as we see in Acts, Peter got on board with this. He didn't remain in hiding or simply fishing for fish like he was before. He moved forward with his grand purpose. You know, in Acts 2, I'm just going to paraphrase it here. Um, we see Jesus, or we see Peter, right? Jesus is ascended. It's Peter's time to shine now. And he gives a spectacular sermon to thousands of people. And, you know, and he goes and he's telling them all that they have crucified the Lord and Messiah. The one that they're waiting for, they just killed him. And the people are cut to the heart and they're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, right? Repent and be baptized and then you get your sins forgiven and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is one of our key scriptures with baptism. This is when we get our forgiveness in the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible, beautiful moment. And, you know, then he says after that, or then the Bible says after that, 3,000 are added to their number that day. And that's the part we love, right? Wow, 3,000. We can still do that. It's still possible. I love that. But I also like to look here at the courage of Peter. Right To say these things so plainly to thousands of people, calling him to face these facts and make some decisions here. But what's even more remarkable to me is that this is a completely different person than the one who was too afraid to even admit that he knew Jesus to a little servant girl. This is a different person. Look at that dramatic change. You know, we recognize the courage of the speech, but what about the courage it took to rise above what others are thinking about his past mistakes, about who he was, all that different stuff? You know, if I was in the crowd, I might be thinking some stuff like, wait, isn't he the man that swore to not know this guy three times, like in front of all of us? And then where has, where has he been? You know, Jesus died, he, and he just disappeared for this, this whole period now, and now he's just suddenly back and talking about all this again. What's that about? You know, I think a lot of people would probably think that kind of stuff, like, okay, okay. But you've got to really appreciate the curse that it comes to say, you know what, yeah, I did do all that. And this is the beauty of Jesus. He's forgiven me for it. And I'm offering all this to everyone here, too. You know, Peter cast off those anxieties and focused on his purpose. And so should we. One conversation turned into one decision, which became one purpose. And that conversion led to 3,000 other conversions in this moment. Peter went from fisherman to failure to follower. And then used his powerful conversion to change the world. Look at the power of one conversion. This one man. And the explosion that happens afterwards because of him. This is my friend Carlos. He's out in San Diego. It's not the most glamorous picture, but I feel like it really like, personifies who he is at heart. So I just chose that one. And he'll probably call me later uh, if he finds out. But this is Carlos Serrano. He's the one that uh, took uh, Corinne and I's position as leading the teen ministry when we left. Now, he was a high school senior when we crossed paths. And, um, and we studied the Bible with him. His friend reached out to him, studied the Bible with him, baptized him. And then when he went into college and I'm leading the teens down south, I kind of, you know, irked him on. Hey, you know, come down south and, and let me train you. And so he comes and we start training him, right? Now, he's not a kingdom kid. He was reached out to by another non-kingdom kid in, the, in high school, which is awesome. 
Um, and so we start studying, and he just starts opening up, uh, opening up about how hard it is to be a light at home when no one else in his family isn't a disciple. And he starts talking about this. And so we went on this campaign of praying for his family. And it was amazing. A couple months later, his little sister, Clarissa, got baptized. And then maybe a year later, after praying and really fasting, trying to... Uh, What's the word? Ask God for this. Uh, his mom, petition, there it is, thank you. His mom gets baptized. You get to see there, they have their reach tags on. The fact that they're at reach was such a miracle. It was unbelievable. You should have seen him. He was the happiest guy. His mom gets baptized. Now his dad, his, his dad's the one that kind of has held out um, a little bit tougher there. But just a couple months ago, his dad got baptized. This dude right here baptized his entire family. Did it happen in a day? No, it took several years. But this high school senior baptism, he was able to baptize his entire family one after the other. And it doesn't end there. That's just his family. He's helped baptize every single one of the guys in this picture. And then one of them just got baptized last week. This is, these are the disciples in our teen ministry in, San Di- uh, in South Point, San Diego. But look at the power of one conversion. This one guy decided to make Jesus his Lord. He's converted his whole family, all of these people. And this is only a couple years in. Imagine how much more he's going to do and how, imagine how much they're going to be able to do. This is the power that can come from one conversion. Just one. And what was the most powerful, amazing conversion of all of them? Yours. And that's the truth. And you need to believe that. We need to be using our powerful conversion to help others to get theirs. We need to tell people, tell them how we had this conversation with Jesus and it changed everything. And so we made this decision and it's been incredible. It's been hard, but it's been incredible. And because of that, we made one purpose and that purpose is, hey, come with me to church because this is unlike anything you've ever seen. We need to get out there and fish for people as was the original call. Now, the thing with fishing is it's not always successful. And I think Jesus chose this illustration out of all the analogies he could have used very specifically. Because fishing isn't always successful. It takes time. It takes dedication. It takes persistence. You lose probably just as many, if not more, fish than you catch along the way. That's the reality of fishing. Several times in the Bible, we could see the apostles out there all night catching nothing. Right? But what happens? Jesus comes. He says, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. They do it. And boom. They catch all these fish. And there's an incredibly spiritual lesson in there. If we, we need to be going out there, our purpose is to fish for people. Are we going to catch someone every time? No. It's just not going to happen like that. Fishing is hard. But when we are in step with the Spirit and in step with Jesus, hearing where he wants us to be casting our nets, that's when we're going to start having the success. Stay in tune. Stay persistent. Focus on your purpose and God will make it happen. Let's stay in the fight as vigorously as when we were first called on the purpose for which we were first called. So Manhattan, as I close out here, let's focus on the power of our conversion personally. Let's never forget that one conversation we had with Jesus that changed our lives. Let's renew our decision daily to follow Jesus. And let's commit ourselves to the one purpose he gave us, 
to help the rest of the world to get their powerful conversion. And if you haven't experienced any of these things yet, grab someone here and ask them to help you have this conversation with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray for the communion. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning where we get to come together and we get to be inspired as we take a look back through Peter's journey at our own conversion, our own conversation with you, the moments where all of this began, God. Please help us to never forget the power that you gave us through our conversion. And thank you so much for going to the cross and taking that punishment so that you could forgive our sins and give us this incredible opportunity to have a conversion that can change the world. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.